Welcome. You're listening to Value Add with Lars Coburn, bringing conversations and reflections that add value to your life. Well, hey, podcasters, it's another week, another time to add value to your life. And I think this conversation with a speech and communications professor is going to do just that. Uh, Every day we do some of the most basic things like talking to each other and communicating through language. Uh, We try and communicate short and succinctly and clearly. And that is something that Doyle Schrader has honed in. And uh, so I hope that you're blessed by this conversation as Janelle and I sit down with one of our favorite professors from Northwest Christian University. And I know it'll be a blessing to you. Okay, we are here in Eugene, uh, back home at our alma mater. Janelle and I are sitting at NCU, um, and we're in a professor's office. Yeah, one of my favorite professor's office. Aww. That's right. So, um, let me let me tell you guys a little bit about this professor in particular. Um, this professor's name is Doyle Schrader, and he is the communications professor. I say the communications professor. There were a couple when I was here, but this was the only one that really counted, that really taught me anything about communications, I would argue. Um, He is passionate, he's well-spoken, well-educated, and very good at hard love, I would say. Um, As an education major and communications minor, um, I had a lot of loving and lovey-dovey professors that cared about us and nurtured us, and um, I would argue that this professor is not one of those. He really pushes you to be your best and doesn't accept anything less than what you're capable of, so... I'm excited that we get to have him on here today. Yeah, yeah. So Doyle Schrader, um, professor of speech and communication at Northwest Christian University. Um, Did you you join before it was Northwest Christian University? Is my understanding right? I arrived in Eugene on August fourteenth, two thousand seven, and it became Northwest Christian University on June first. 2008, and as a matter of fact, the first year I was here, at the end of the year they gave me this. And oh, it says fantastic. Northwest, Northwest Christian, Christian College. College. Yeah, wow. Professor of the Year. So you have something from before uh, NCU. It was back in NCC days. That's, That's awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. Uh, you know, if we, as we're just talking here, we're, we're participating in some of the most basic forms of the human experience. We're, we're communicating with each other, um, primarily through language and, um, and speech. And so uh, what does it mean to be a professor of that, of, of speech and communication? Well, the funny thing is that I found my way into higher education through being a debate coach. Okay. And I thought that I just wanted to coach debate and maybe teach one class for my whole career and Arizona State actually hired me out of graduate school and I did it for about a year and a half before I realized it was absolutely the wrong job for me and then the only thing that I could do to pay the bills and not have to move back in with mom was in graduate school they'd given me a TA position teaching public speaking Hmm. so a college in Texas, Stephen F. Austin State University, hired me to teach a lot of public speaking classes. They then branched me out into interpersonal communication as well. Then I came here, and they wanted me to teach both, and that was right up my alley. And just within the past year, one of the things I've stumbled across is a lot of the research in the, fi- in the field of argumentation, which is what I did graduate work in, is actually really important for interpersonal communication and for the healthy development of relationships. Hmm. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes sense because yeah. you spend your day uh, arguing a lot, uh, especially as a married couple. But um, that's probably another podcast. Um, so you joined in 2007. Um, tell us a little bit about that journey. You know, why do you end up in Eugene? The, the universities that you got your degrees from are far from here. Baylor and then University of Georgia. So that's not uh, a Northwest. I, did you grow up? Uh, where did you grow up? And, and Your timing out? is perfect because I told this entire story. You both may remember that there's a class at NCU called All Are Gifted, All Are Called. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things they're doing now is they're trying to farm that out to each major. So there's a psychology-specific one and an accounting-specific one, mm-hmm. and there's a communication-specific one. And on Monday of this week in my communication-specific All Are Gifted, All Are Called, I told that whole story. I had only, before my first day, in or before the day that I interviewed for the job, I'd only been to the Pacific Northwest once. I had interviewed for a job at Western Washington, and that was okay. 10 years earlier in 1997. I grew up right outside Dallas, Texas, in a suburb called Richardson, and when I went to college, I went to Baylor, and I went to Baylor for the debate team, mm-hmm. and when I was done at Baylor, I went to the University of Georgia to get my doctorate, because it was a good argumentation program, and I could mm-hmm. be a debate coach, and then... I've already mentioned I wound up back at Stephen F. Austin State University after I quit coaching debate, Mm -hmm. and I lived there for about 10 years. I had family in town, and at the beginning of that time, it wasn't 10 years, it was 8 years. At the beginning of that time, I had a nephew who just thought I hung the moon, Hmm. but the year that he graduated high school and was ready to leave town and go to college, I thought, I really don't want to live in Nacogdoches, Texas anymore, because nobody wants to live in Nacogdoches, (laughs) Texas. Not even the founders of town. (laughs) there's, okay, I'm not going to give you the long version of the story, but it was during a series of years in my life when I had been praying insistently to God about things, and I had been learning to let them go, and when I learned to let them go, he gave me something better. Mm-hmm. And so, in the spring of 2007, I was a finalist for a job at Truman State University in Kirksville, Missouri, and I got so excited. I really wanted that job, but I learned my lesson, and I said, God, if this is not the right job, close the door. And they called me about a week after the finalist interview, and they said, we've offered the job to one of the other finalists, and they accepted. Thank you very much. The next day, Dr. Lindsay called me. Oh, wow. And I am so much better off here than I would have been in Missouri. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I grew up Northwest, Pacific Northwest, um, Portland, and then Eugene kind of are the main hubs. And you do have kind of an aura about you that fits with Eugene, you know? remember uh, driving to campus and uh, and seeing you walking to campus even in the rain sure. so um, that's uh, that fits and um, and our our listeners don't know about your awesome do you call it a uh, goatee or goatee yeah and I remember that being quite a big deal when you you trimmed the goatee at one point and that was a very important NCU mile marker but um, well, glad to see it grow I don't know out. if you remember this but when I came for my volleyball tryout mm-hmm. here you were one of the first people I met. We were at the crosswalk, and he just came up, and he was like, hey, are you here to try out for the team? And we have lots of people here, and just had this whole nice conversation while we were waiting for the light to turn, and then I ended up in a program with you, and it was like, oh, this guy's really nice. He talked to me when I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. (laughs) It's cool. So it's so much more than just being a professor here at NCU. I mean, you're part of um, the culture and and the uh, experience for sure. Um, so with my role being a youth pastor and, and pastor at a church, do a lot of public speaking, 
you know, because we have something every week. And, and at NCU, we were actually just walking past. They've uh, got chapel going on now in the in the gym. Um, but while I was here, I, I kind of helped with the announcements. I and um, there were some times where, it, and I still get this way when I have to hand the mic to somebody to right. do an announcement. It's like, I'm actually on the hook for what you're going to say. Because right. I'm the MC. I'm, I'm here. I'm responsible for what's being shared. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and you always have that sense of trepidation. Like, what is this person going to say? Exactly. And uh, But I could always count on your announcements. <laughs> uh, the Doyle announcement is going to be great. It's going to be concise. It's going to be exciting. People are going to be like, oh, maybe I should do that, you know? Um, <laughs> even though I, I, I like speaking, but I am terrified of things like debate or um, other sort of things. But uh, <laughs> maybe. And your um, wife was very briefly on the team. She was, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so how did you develop that? jump, I remember. Oh, that's yeah. right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, that took me a long time to memorize. That's and right. I, I still, every once in a while, remember a few lines. That was a very odd speech. <laughs> he it's, goes off on a ski jump and just never right. comes down. Yeah, it's a good good thing that I don't ski jump. I, I do wondering. ski. But, uh, yeah, because that could have been, a, like, prophetic. Jumps. Yeah, very prophetic. Um, we might actually come back to that husband's cool. jump thing because yeah. we're going to talk about memorization in a little bit. But I was thinking about your announce, your, you know, just the way that you're so concise and clear. Um, so we've talked a little bit about your kind of physical journey across the, sure. the nation and stuff. Mm-hmm. But how did you get, you know, how did you develop being concise, clear, your personal communication skills? Easy. And the way I can confirm it, I'll, I'll give you the answer, but then I'll give you the confirmation of it. When I, I've, already, I've mentioned a couple of times now that I competed in debate and I coached debate. And a lot of people, when they think of competitive debate, they think you stand at a big podium and say, Madam Chairperson, what a lovely day to discuss. No, no. There's a stopwatch running. Mm-hmm. And any of your opponent's arguments you don't get to and respond to, they win. Hmm. So debaters talk auctioneer speed and have to make split-second decisions. They can't dither and think, hmm, what shall I say to this? You just have to commit and spit it out. And so my proof of this, a few of my majors and a few other students have noticed the similarity between the way I talk and the way Vice President Fuller talks. Mm -hmm. He was Oregon State champion for a format of debate. Hmm. He was a debater, too. I didn't know that. Getting right to the point, that's where that comes from. Yeah, Hmm. that's awesome. Okay, so... um, as you, as you think about that, mm-hmm. you're not a debater anymore. Maybe you do uh, debate on the side, but how do you maintain that? Like, what are some of the practices that you do? You know, I've, I've done things like present my sermons in front of a mirror or um, listen to a recording of myself or something like that. But what, what are some of the things you do to kind of keep the oil in the machine, I guess? Well, the strange thing is that when I first started teaching college classes, the first advice I got is, you are going to have to slow down. But mm-hmm. I found that the students kind of thrive on it because they grew up watching, when I started teaching college classes, they'd grown up on MTV, which is no longer music videos. But still, they get so loaded with all the media content they consume that people of my generation and older who are talking, we just sound like we're going in slow motion. Mm. Whereas if I come at it as fast as I can and I charge right to the point and I pack three times as much into a lecture as I should, you know, students may be taking notes so fast that their pens smoke, Mm -hmm. but they tell me afterward that, wow, it was so easy to pay attention to you. Mm -hmm. Well, 
I think something that's powerful about the way he teaches too is that the other skills, not just being concise, mm -hmm. but making sure that one point leads right into the next one. So it's not like in other classes when maybe you're learning one specific set of skills mm -hmm. and then, okay, now we're shifting to something completely different. The way his classes would run was just one theory of communication led right into the next one or whatever. So it's not you're stopping and going. Everything kind of builds onto itself. And so it doesn't matter that it's going fast because it's kind of like building blocks into where you're trying to get. Mm. And so it was easy to kind of track that train of thought. And I know this is turning into one long advertisement for debate, which I think everybody should do. But <laughs> yeah. The other thing I learned from debate was if you make an argument here and then way over here on this other issue, the arguments are inconsistent, you could lose the debate on that. Mm. So you have to keep all these issues in your head at one time. And that's what made it easy to do that. Because yeah. I got to the end of a point and I remembered where it began because you had to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, that's great to th hear how that's influencing your, your lectures. I mean, I, um, one of the only professors I uh, feel like I have a relationship with NCU that I never took a class from is you. <laughs> um, and so it was really natural for me to go, hey, let's do a podcast with, with Doyle. Um, but, and, and maybe it's partly because Janelle had you and, and just raved about your stuff. Other than your, is it, was it? You call them Doyle exams, or what was oh, the? What was that called? The monster. Oh, Godzilla. Oh, Godzilla. Godzilla. That okay. was the worst test I've ever taken in my life, <laughs> and I did not do well. But oh, dear. I'm super curious. <laughs> I would love to just come up sometime and take the Godzilla exam no, just you to would see, not. just to see what all the <laughs> hype is not. about. But well, it, it takes two full class days. Okay. And there are 75 minute class meetings, and and actually I overhauled it. Now it takes six. Oh my goodness. But don't you, and aren't you the prophet cook? it's just these communication cooks? theories, and it has these weird names. He just comes up with these, it's awful. <laughs> don't <laughs> so you make hard. cookies, though, for your I, students? I do make cookies. See, I, I didn't have any professors. Well, I had an economics professor at Lane Community College that made a cookie, <laughs> and he would put an answer to a question. Wow. Like, oh, at, you know, so there would be, like, three questions that he was basically giving freebies, and he would just cut up a bunch of them. And so you you might get a different answer than somebody else, but there would be at least one freebie on the exam. That's you know, that's uh, everybody thinks idea. economics and accounting was hard, but we got, <laughs> we got cheap, freebies. Cheap, yeah, we got freebies, freebies and a cookie. Um, but I did. I sat in your office uh, twice. Um, well, actually, I think one time we were in a classroom, but um, at least one of the times I sat in your office and we recorded. Um, me trying to reading a passage of scripture. So we're at Northwest Christian College right. or Northwest Christian University now, and um, the Bible is important. Um, we we kind of integrate faith and learning. We have wisdom, faith, and service integrated in our classes. Um, and you're uh, you know kind of helping students do this reading and then memorization of scripture. And and I had no idea. Um, what this thing was called. I think I found out after I had participated in one year that it's actually named after a family. So Bash Whistler right. competition. And I thought maybe Bash Whistler like meant something like you're whistling because you're talking. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I have no idea what I had imagined, but then I found out it was named for a family. So tell us a little bit about um, what the Bash Whistler competition is. So we don't know when it began we know it was the early 1960s we know it existed by 1962 we know this because we had a group of alums come back for their 50 year reunion in 2012 mm. and one of the and and they came back the day of the finals and they okay. sat in on the finals and one beautiful lady came down at the end and remembered her passage 50 years later wow, wow. 
so we know, and you know, now 56 years later, it was originally just the Whistler Bible Reading Contest, and the Whistler family still lives in town. I've met Ron Whistler, and he comes, I think, every year to the finals now. Okay. But at some point, uh, Ron actually went overseas and was a missionary. Can't remember where, but another family took up supporting the contest, and they donate the prize money every year. So they mm-hmm. donate, I don't know, over $1,000, and the prize money is given to the students on the day of the finals in cash. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the Bash family, the Bash Griffith family, they come and they are there for the finals in person every time, which is wonderful. And they come yeah. and they encourage the people. And uh, you were a semifinalist, weren't you? He or, was. Were you? Okay. I, yeah, let's see. I, I think I was it. a, what is it, the fourth six. through sixth? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I was, right. yeah, um, that two years in a row, which right. was fantastic. It was fun to uh-huh. be part of that. Um, so and I got money, um, right. which I don't think... Mom, if you're listening, I, ne- I you know that was the most money I've ever gotten for memorizing the Bible. Even though uh, you might have tried to give me some money when my Bible class, but uh, we never dealt with that much uh, cash. See, Juana's and all the toys. And yeah, and right. Stuff. It just wasn't the cash. same. You know, cash is king um, in accounting. But um, so, you know, you came in 2007. Right. So was it was another professor kind of leading it before that? What drew you to the Bash Whistler? They, I kind of inherited it with the job. They told okay. me that the communication professor is the one who's the MC for the Bash Whistler contest, and I had a little fun with it. The day of the finals, every year that I've done it, I've introduced it with a little warm-up thought that's about five minutes long, and the Bash Griffith family gave me very good feedback saying they really like the way I MC it. So That's fantastic. It's just with the job. Great. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, we talked a little bit about its beginnings. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about the competition yes. itself and uh, what is required of a student to participate. So, the students get to pick the passage, but they pick two passages, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. Both passages have to be consecutive verses, a minimum 12, a maximum 25. And very often they will pick a longer Old Testament passage mm-hmm. than New Testament because the Old Testament passage you get to read from your Bible the New Testament passage you have to memorize. And we've never really said that the passages have to work together, but usually people will try to organize them around a theme. And then what you do, you practice presenting it. And the rules of the contest and the way we brief the judges, it should be the kind of reading that would be appropriate in a worship service on a Sunday morning. They shouldn't act it out. Mm. And occasionally they get a little too enthusiastic and As they would say in theater, they chew the scenery a little too much, especially when they get up in front of chapel and they have 700 people staring at them and they get their adrenaline going. But really what we want them to do is just to be able to read it, not in a monotone, not in a sing-song, but to bring it to life with their voice, to communicate Mm -hmm. it joyfully and powerfully, because everybody should be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, you have, Mm -hmm. on average, you know, how many students usually... I mean, you usually have several judges that are judging these things, but but how many students participate in this every year? Well, okay. This you you have found my pain because <laughs> five years ago we had sixteen entries, and that's not bad when you're only getting six prizes. Right. This year we had five entries. We actually had to give prize money back. Wow. wow. And and that's with the undergraduate class at NCU. This year's the largest it's ever been. And I stood in front of them in chapel, and I took them a little to the woodshed over that because 
there are all these students who are going on mission trips and they're fundraising. And I said, stop and think about this for a minute. You're asking the members of your church, and let's be honest, you're asking the senior adults in your church who are on a fixed income to open their wallets for you for something you're not willing to do for yourself. And there was a lot of kind of, the place was very quiet, and they were all looking at one another. (laughs) And I'm hoping that we're going to have the numbers back up next year. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a good point. I I probably should have used some of my money that one year that I went to uh, (laughs) Cambodia on that. Uh, that's a good, good question. I didn't know you went to Cambodia. I'm going to uh, Cambodia this year. Yeah, let's see. Actually, you know what? I may have gone to Cambodia. Well, no, I may have already finished fundraising. Here. Yeah, I probably finished fundraising when I did the Bash Whistler. But um, anyway, uh-huh. it um, it was yeah, it was interesting. I kind of last minute mm-hmm. on the trip. She was going, right. and so there was some incentive. And then I uh, had been to Cambodia before right. uh, with my parents living Oops. overseas. So. It was fun to go back and see it and all that stuff. She went back a second time. Um, so we keep telling Troy maybe if he needs uh, some alums, you know, give us a call. But um, but it does take a lot of work to fundraise, you know, and a lot of time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a great thought about, um, you know, we, we do these things that really have deep meaning. I mean, there's great history to the Bash Whistler right competition it's something like you said that everyone should be able to do bring scripture to life but it's not something that's very common right um so speak a little bit to that like why do you think memorizing or bringing something and it doesn't just have to be scripture but i think because we're christians and we're at a christian college um we relegate that to a pastor or a professional or a worship team leader or something like that and it doesn't seem to be the general um, thing. And I know when I was doing the Bash Whistler competition, actually, yeah, there was the communication students that would often win or, or uh, you know, one of the ministry students or something. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but there was, you know, several athletes mm-hmm. and people that I kind of was like, I didn't even know you were a Christian, really. You know, I, <laughs> I knew you were at the school, but um, you didn't have a high profile place in our Christian culture and uh, and yet they were passionate they were good um, and it was beautiful to see them bring scripture to life so um, speak a little bit to that what why do you see this as kind of something that's maybe going away in our culture I think there are two things that are happening the first thing that I think is that people just find it a lot harder well I think both of them have to do with the same thing which is uh, digital devices mm. and I think in the first place, People consume so much of their mediated content and have so much more mediated content through digital devices than they do face-to-face communication. There are, there's not smoking gun evidence, but there's a growing, very worrisome case that that's eroding people's ability to memorize it all. Mm-hmm. And so I think what you asked of students back in 1962 to memorize 12 consecutive verses and what you're asking students in 2018 who've been brought up on a completely different diet of contents and di- completely different media channels, I think it's just, it's much, much harder. It's almost like asking kids from the 50s to go for a five-mile run and kids from 2018 who sat around and played video games and eaten junk food to go for a five-mile run. The five mm-hmm. miles is constant, but two different sets of kids with two different upbringings. The other thing is, because we carry these around, we think we don't need to memorize scripture. Because this has a search function. I can pop it out and I can... And the problem with that, the, the third thing that's true about the digital devices people carry around, 
they use them instead of talking to people face to face. And we have so many adolescents and young adults who have paralyzing social anxiety. Hmm. The reason they have it is because conversation moves so quickly. And they'll say, I want to say something in conversation, but they're four turns later and I'm still formulating my thought. The same is true for you trying to look up a Bible verse on your phone. Hmm. If you've got it hidden in your heart, if you've got it memorized, that at the moment that someone needs to hear it, it's there. But when that moment comes, you can't get your device out and flip around and try to find it. Mm. But people think they can, and they're in denial about it. Mm. That, that's good. I, I mean, I read a lot of, um, and like you said, it's a little bit underdetermined whether or not we know for certain right. that the digital stuff is, is doing this. But, you know, there's brain studies and, and all sorts of things mm-hmm. um, that are... I think confirming that and, and definitely worrying me with adolescent development, even younger than college um, students. Um, so uh, let's go back to personal. Sure. Um, obviously, Janelle was talking about her memorization for a speech. Uh, was it a class assignment that you had to do the My Husband's it Show? It was, yeah. It was like my last communication class I had to take in order to graduate with my minor. Mm-hmm. And so... I think we just did, it was just a one-on-one class, right. I think, and we worked on it, and I performed it in the chapel and had to get a certain amount of people to come. Because yeah. we originally were going to go to a tournament at Clark College up in Vancouver, but then we had an ice storm and we couldn't go. Oh, that's right. right. So for Janelle to finish the class, we just had to do a showcase. Yeah. And you also practiced doing impromptu speaking, and you yes. did an impromptu that day. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I was just blown away because you were... You had this big notebook, mm-hmm. and you kept going. Was it 10 minutes? or? Like, I, yeah, like 10 to 15 minutes maybe. And I had the yeah. notebook, and I was allowed to mm-hmm. reference it, right. but not read it. So right. I had so. to have it memorized, and if I kind of lost my space or needed a refresher of where I was going next. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a lot of different things. It was you had to know where your page break was, right. that you were turning at the right time, and have your font big enough that when you're shaking at the front, you know <laughs> how to read and... <laughs> It was, yeah, it was a lot of different things, plus the memorization of just, I can do this for 10 minutes and mm-hmm. yeah. know what I'm saying. Yeah, so I mean, that was a huge uh, accomplishment. I mean, uh, I might have been pretty smitten at the time. I think we were <laughs> engaged, engaged. Or, yeah, we had just gotten engaged, so it was an uh, important time in our relational development. <laughs> but, um, but I just remember being just completely blown away, mm-hmm. and, and I felt like I had a pretty good handle on memorization. Sure. Um, and you memorize sections of things. I mean, at one point, I think I had the whole book of James memorized, but that is probably the longest thing I've ever memorized. Mm-hmm. And I, um, so as I, I think about that and your, your passion for it, I mean, it just oozes um, out of you when we get around the Bachelor time that you just see this is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you, for you personally, what, how does memorization add value to your life? How does memorization add value to my life? Well, I am working on a passage from Isaiah that I am planning to take with me to Mm -hmm. Cambodia, although I am embarrassed to admit that I can't actually remember the reference. I've been paying so much attention to the passage itself, but it is from, they are, uh, Lars and Janelle are tactful enough not to mention that I am opening up my device to get the reference (laughs) to the passage. You have a, is it an iPod? Yeah, that, this okay. is an iPod Touch. This iPod is definitely touch. not a phone. It looks and really cool. It, uh, I'm so sweet. used to my phones now, sure. and they're yeah. Bulky. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is this is being ornery. 
and it appears to have lost the birth. And that's the other thing is that you cannot trust these devices. Absolutely, yeah, I know. So what's what's the phrase we always quote Doyle on? I technology hates, hates you and is out to kill you, you or something. Yes, <laughs> that's to right. You. I quote that, and now I don't even know that. We say that all the time. Yeah, we say that all the time. You've been yes. you you <laughs> are been transferred to so many lives that you don't oh, even yeah. know. Southern in California. California has filled with Doyleisms. So yeah. that's great. <laughs> I will now be quoting. Yeah, I need to go back and give. Credit where credit's due on that. Never let your guard down around technology. It'll bite you. <laughs> the passage is Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 12. And the highlight of it probably, when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And mm-hmm. it goes on from there and talks about, I will call my children from the north and the south and the east and the west. And I just want to take that with me to Cambodia. And I yeah. think yeah. there'll be some uses for it there. That's Definitely. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a... Um, specific purpose you know that was yes. i think one of the cool things about the bachelor thing that i hadn't thought of is that growing up there were times where i was given a purpose mm-hmm. for memorizing a passage mm-hmm. and then when i preach um i'm i often have a purpose for memorizing and then there's once in a while that there's a few passages that i find purpose for for myself sure you know uh, the lord's prayer or psalm 23 right. um where it just fits into my life and I go, yeah, this I need to have close by. Right. And I wonder if maybe the deterioration is that we in church and in education, we don't give people, you know, a purpose, mm-hmm. a deep purpose to memorize mm-hmm. scripture um, that they're going to want to take with them to a place like Cambodia. And um, and that, you know, maybe if like the Bachelor, I think that those are opportunities where it says you know come and be prepared present this and it's going to be meaningful to your life sure right um so just in in closing um i just wanted to give you some chance to just kind of closing thoughts on memorization on speech and communication anything that you think you know could add value to specifically us as as alums but also um any of the listeners or anything well this is for the listeners and it probably it's probably not that good as a closing remark because it'll open a little bit of a can of worms. Since Janelle had classes with me, mm-hmm. you would find a lot of the classes I teach now are almost un- unrecognizable because I am convinced that our enemy has put students in the United States into this view of what school is mm-hmm. that is one of the biggest stumbling blocks there is. And I didn't have words for it until recently, but there's shallow learning, there's strategic learning, and then there is deep learning. And shallow learning is learning just enough not to be embarrassed. Mm. So cramming at the last minute so you can eke out a C on a test. Mm. Then strategic learning is figuring out all the classes and figuring out the right strategy to get an A in the class. Mm -hmm. And the second the class is over, I'm done with that class and you forget all of it. Mm -hmm. And the way we've set up our education system, the weaker students, the underachieving students, they do a lot of shallow learning and they do it over and over and over again and they start to tell one another stories about how funny it is. And the strategic learners, they get rewarded and they're the valedictorians and they get scholarships. But strategic learning is not learning because you flush it all out of your head the second the class is done. Well, if that's your model of learning from kindergarten through graduating college, why would you memorize scripture? You don't hold on to anything else. And what I've been designing my classes around is more deep learning and more what you learned in this first class, day one of the class that follows, you got to have it and you got to keep it. Mm-hmm. This, this, 
Some people have decided not to become comm majors because of what I'm about to describe. We, at the beginning of every term, all the comm majors have what's called a retention meeting. Hmm. They come and they sit in the chairs you're sitting in, and then I go through every class they've had with me, and I ask at least one broad question that if they were paying attention, they should be able to talk intelligently about. And then at their capstone, the second they're done with their capstone presentation, I can pull from any comm class they had, and I ask them one of those questions in front of everybody, they tell what they learned. Interesting. And if they approached college right, hmm. you know, and, and I, I don't ask details. I don't try to trip them up. I'll just ask them for broad themes from nonverbal communication. Tell me a little bit about nonverbals of attractiveness. What does research tell us about attractiveness? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that kind of expands on what we were talking about earlier with yeah. how just in one lecture, mm -hmm. the beginning is necessary for the end of the lecture, and it's a building block. Exactly. So it sounds like you've just hyped that up into, mm -hmm. now it's a four-year process, not a 75-minute right. process from the yeah. lecture. And I think that's important, because I still remember a lot of what I learned sure. in your classes, but if you ask me a question about common theory, mm -hmm. I don't have that anymore. I was a very shallow learner in that class. Yeah. So that well, public speaking... Well, strategic, because you did very well. Public speaking, I remember a lot yeah, of. Sure. Calm theory, not yeah. so much. So. Yeah, I've never been given that language, strategic learner, mm -hmm. But, I mean, if you think about it, obviously I didn't pursue what I got a degree in. Sure. There was a lot of reasons to that. But, I mean, in, in many ways, I knew how to get professors to like right. me. And I also mm -hmm. really worked hard to know what was required of me by this professor exactly. to get an A or mm -hmm. get a passing grade. Sure. Um, and uh, maybe I don't want to throw it completely out of the window, but I have some sort of distinguished award at NCU and they try and get me to donate money back uh, for that specific <laughs> award. But um, I tease that there were so many other students that had better grades than me, were better learners than me, um, and in many ways had a lot of other things, but I was that strategic thing, you know, that I, I figured out how to kind of move around in the system. Um, I'd like to think that I had some legacy effect because that's what the, the award is about. Sure. So there's hope. The yeah, there's that hope that, 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 that I was actually better at that. But mm -hmm. but I love that language, strategic and shallow, um, and moving on from that and trying to say, how do we structure as educators right. um, that? And so as I think about mm -hmm. sitting in your office mm -hmm. on, when I was graduating, going to youth ministry and asking, mm -hmm. how, do we, how do I help these teens yeah. learn about God's story, mm -hmm. learn who God is, sure. um, and be impacted by scripture mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And I remember you talking about, hey, just think strategically, think differently mm -hmm. about their space, right. about what you're doing, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and change things up, uh, right. change the education model up. Right. Don't just do the same thing. And because uh, we don't really want them to be shallow learners or even strategically, we exactly. want them to learn so much deeper so I have a little warm-up that I've been giving my FYS students and then last summer I even got to give it to all of the freshmen who came in to pre-register and I asked them if God had closed every door and sent you to wait tables in a restaurant could you glorify God waiting tables and they said of course which is the right answer and we talked about how mm -hmm. and then I said he didn't send you to wait tables he brought you to a college so he brought you here to learn now I want you to think for a minute do you glorify him with shallow learning do you glorify him with strategic learning? And that, I saw a lot of light bulbs go on. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. Well, thank you, Doyle, so much for um, letting us intrude in your space and your time, <laughs> your valuable time uh, of educating and, uh, and teaching and preparing. So 
Uh, I hope they we didn't. We're here at lunch hour, so I hope we didn't take away from your food. Uh, but uh, but thank you so much, and hope to have you back on the podcast sometime. I enjoyed this. Thank you. So that conversation was really fun for us to record, and I hope that you're looking forward to some more podcasts like this one, uh, where we explore some things that are just kind of close to our hearts. Um, you can find more information about uh, Northwest Christian University and some of the good things that they're doing. As uh, the professor mentioned, uh, the work that we're doing, uh, the work that they do, and that Janelle and I have gone on those trips uh, to Cambodia. Uh, they partner with a group called Agape International Missions. And uh, so we'd love for you to just kind of know more about that partnership and what they're doing to fight human trafficking in Cambodia. And so if you're uh, super curious about that stuff, you can look in the show notes. There's a link to that website and you can find more information about what they're doing in Cambodia. Thanks for tuning in to Value Add. For more great conversations and insights, visit valueaddconversations.com.